Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing a person who's becoming a very good friend over time. His name is Jason Shepard, and he did something that's called the Church Project in Houston. And so, Jason, we had you on here last week, and, and if, but there's some people who didn't hear that, and I hope that they'll go back to listen. So just take a couple minutes and tell us about Church Project, how you guys got started, and then we'll get into it. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks for having me again, and I enjoy conversations with you about Jesus and His church, and I'm excited about this conversation today. Church Project started in 2010, 10 years ago, and um, I just jumped out of an airplane and hoped that the parachute might catch, but I just didn't want to keep doing what I was spending my life doing anymore, which was a form of godliness, I think, denying its power. It was a form of church denying the full power of church. And so um, everything I read in Scripture lit my fire, but everything I was practicing was putting my fire out for the body. And so I just, I just left where I was very amicably and said, I'm going to try to start something new. I didn't have a name for anything, but I had an idea, which was a project to pursue the original idea of church, not thinking that I would be the first person to ever figure this out. But I just, I had at least formed a, a little bit of clarity about the centrality of the target for the church. And so that's what we started going after. And so I still tell our people, thousands of people, that you go to a church without a name, just like the people in Jerusalem. When I say, what was it? People say, what is this name, Church Project? I say, it's not our name. It's an idea. They're like, well, what is the name? And I say, well, we don't have one. What was the name of the... And they're like, well, how can you not have a name? And I'll say, well, what was the name of the church in Jerusalem? So I don't know. And I said, exactly. But we know what they did and we know what happened. And I said, we're going to gather together like the early church. I think they gathered on Sundays. They studied the scriptures. They sang, they prayed, they gave. And then we're going to decentralize and disperse. And we're going to be living together in communities like the early church called them. We're going to borrow their nomenclature they, to the church that meets in so-and-so's house. So we'll borrow the name house church from them. And then we started like Titus chapter one, which was let's appoint leaders in every place to lead the people. And that's what we started doing. And that's what we've been doing ever since. That's great. I like it. You know, in uh, the 1930s and, and up into the 40s, there was a man in China named Watchman Nee. Yeah, I love he him. Kind of went down the same path as as you, and and it set up for all the problems that faced the church in China after uh, Mao Zedong took over and and the rep, cultural revolution, all that. And China came out without any Western missionaries. Thirty years later, seventy five times as strong as they went in wow. in terms of numbers. So I think we're on the right track. You know, we're using this word microchurch a lot. And uh, a lot of people have different definitions. I'd like you to just, you know, I, I like to tell people, well, a microchurch is a house church that might not meet in the house. You know, I think that there needs to be a certain structure to it. I think there needs to be a certain momentum, uh, maybe a little bit of size, certainly function. To me, the word needs to be central. Community needs to be a part of it. And there, there needs to be a missional aspect work 
we're reaching somebody with the gospel. But I'd just like to hear from you. What would you call a microchurch that, that would be acceptable to you? Well, I love this conversation, and I'm wrestling with that myself because I think, I think we have to define what a church is. Or we say house church or microchurch, really, what is church? And so I think we've done a pretty good job of deconstructing what church is not, right? It's not a building. It's not programs. It's not tradition. But what is a church? And so I do think we have plenty of clues in Scripture to say what a church is. I do not think the verse where two or three are gathered in my name, there will be also, was describing a church. It is talking about the power of the presence of God when people gather together, but it wasn't defining a church. When I see church in Scripture, there was the element, and we, we can just go back to the description of the early church that we all know, Acts 2, 42 through 46. I mean, they were teaching the Scriptures. They were praying together. They were evangelizing. They were doing ministry they were meeting one another's needs and benevolence. And so I see those are at least the basic denominators of a church, micro, house church, macro, whatever. Those things have to be going on in a church. I don't think a church is two people getting together and playing checkers. I can't call that a church. I want our people getting together and playing volleyball or riding motorcycles or whatever with people, but that's not that's not a church. I think those are evangelistic functions or community functions, but they're not complete holistic functions of what a church should be doing. So at least that's the beginning of the conversation that I have with myself and others when we're talking about what is a church and what is a church not. You know, to me, the, the verses in Acts chapter 2 uh, describe the church in-house, in the temple, and then in the house-to-house meeting. And then it says that they were having favor with their neighbors and that people were being added daily. And I that just flips me straight over to Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And I think that, that I find the purpose of the church there because it says the purpose of these people is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So I see Acts chapter 2 as we're together and we're being equipped, and then we're in the neighborhood, we're in the community, and I think that sometimes what we're calling church is maybe the church at work, but it's not the church. And right. we have to go from there. Talk to us just a little bit about church project in light of COVID-19. Well, we haven't had to change much. Uh, at, at least the way that we gather, uh, other than in, in-house to virtual, everything else has actually stayed the same, which has been great. Our structure is we are decentralized and we are distributed. I like to say we are a deconstructed church. You know, we use the word organic. Everybody uses that. But what does that mean? Or, organic does not mean systems. There's nothing more organic than a human being creating another human being. The human body is filled with systems, but they're autonomic. They're invisible. We have systems and structures, but they just happen so naturally, and they're very simple. They have happened autonomically here as well. So we do have a centrality. We say we are a church of house churches. We are a connectivity, a web of house churches. But so little happens from the centrality of the church. That's why we don't have a phone number. We don't have an office to walk into. If somebody says, will the church do this? I say, what? What do you mean? Who are you talking to? Why doesn't the church do this? Who are you talking about? And we're re- helping people rethink what church is. And so we have a few people behind the curtain who oversee our house churches and help people engage in ministries. But beyond that, we have normal people who are pastoring house churches, and we have many, many of them. 
and they pastor many, many people. And so the way that we're gathering right now is a display of that. Like, for example, you know, tomorrow I'll spend almost my entire day on different Zoom calls with myself and the and one of our pastors who oversees all of our house churches. He and I meet with all of our house church pastors in meetings all throughout the day. We've broken them up into small groups and we meet with them. We pray for them. We help them. We answer any questions. But they're, they're meeting with their people all throughout the week virtually. They have Sunday nights where they just check on people personally. Wednesday nights they're doing worship and Bible study together, spiritual discussions. They're all reaching out and engaging. Our church has grown dramatically coronavirus season because our people are evangelistic. And our house church pastors are pushing them to invite their friends and neighbors. We're having new people join house churches. We've started new house churches during the quarantine. That's a little bit of our structure during this season. Another friend of mine is planting churches online. He planted one in Zimbabwe this last weekend and one in London from Omaha, Nebraska. But again, they already were functioning as, as a network of house churches. And it's just easy for them to not only flip over to doing things electronically online, but then to expand the footprint by inviting more people into it. He had gone to London with me last year, and he met a guy there that I, I don't know, I never met. And somehow he's discipling this guy to oversee what's currently a digital church in a place called Brixton in South London in a kind of a deprived neighborhood. The guys that seem to be hurting over this whole thing are the people who have a heavy, heavy reliance on program. Yeah. And you don't do that, right? No, I mean, we have, we have very, very little programming at all. We've been functioning really well without any programming. We have, I would say, student programming, but really we have students broken up into what are almost student house churches, micro churches, if you will. They're led by an older college age person or young adult or sometimes even older. And like my daughter's been every couple of times a week, she's on Zoom meetings with her little, her group of, of, of girls. And so we have a lot of students and a lot of leaders like that. And so, no, we don't have any of that. We have people who are planting new house churches and starting new house churches out of this. I'll tell you what, Ralph, this has opened up for me as well, an openness that I didn't have before to online digital things. I was very reluctant to do that because we're just so tactile and so organic and so communal that it didn't seem right to me to be online. But we are finding people, I don't know how many states we've counted that have joined us now, how many nations that are watching us, they're not connected to a body where they are. They won't go to a traditional church. And so we're helping people start house churches through churchprojectnetwork.com all over. We're talking with people all the time right now. It's, it's super elevated. We're going to continue. You know, that's happening. I, I'm in touch with quite a few people, and I see that the churches that were already look like Acts chapter 2, 41, 47. Those churches just flipped online, quick pivot, and then were surprised, much like you seem to be, to find how easy it was to expand the footprint and to expand into evangelism uh, by friends meeting friends, there's something about our culture. I've been reluctant. When people tell me, oh, I'm doing a church online, it's like, oh, right. you know, how can that be real? You know, I came back from, I was in in Orlando in, I guess, January, and all of a sudden it started looking real scary. My wife and I are both in that age group where you got to be a little scared of this thing. And so we didn't go to church that Sunday morning. We got in late on a Saturday night, and we flipped our, what we're calling our, our micro church inside of our church, kind of acts to house church into online that week. 
some people had some reservations, but we're having really rich fellowship and we're learning to reach out. And, you know, I'm discovering that face-to-face on a Zoom call in some ways can be more intimate and sitting around in the living room with people. Well, people somehow are less inhibited and, and more open to share that way. You know, I, yeah, and I, our, our people are finding that as well. And we don't know if it's, man, God has really pressed people to points of desperation during this quarantine season, if that's why people are even being more open. But what we do know is that the reluctance, I mean, people are still a little bit inhibited to get on a screen just like they would to walk up to somebody's house. But it's less intimidating for sure. And that's why we have new people joining house churches. And we literally have almost 100% participation every week. Whereas before some kid may be sick and they can't come or whatever. Now people are there. Everybody's on almost a hundred percent every week. And I love it. It's actually easier to participate because you don't have to spend time of getting all cleaned up and driving someplace and driving back. And right. The whole world is changing. You know, I was talking with one of my doctors it looks like his life is going to change as a result of telemed. He was telling me, you know, I'm Medicare age, and he's telling me that up until 11 days before we talked, that he could be fined $10,000 for treating me online or on the telephone because the, the government required face-to-face for Medicare patients. But he goes, now they flip and they're demanding that we do this. And he goes, so coming out of this, the world's going to change. And so as we're talking about what it looks more like for him is uh, he's kind of an older guy and, you know, probably semi-retired. He works three days a week. He's going to probably flip that back to to two days online and one day in the office and be able to share space with another doctor, the the cost cutting, all those things. But for me as a patient, when I go see this guy, I have to stop working around my house, go take a shower go stop at McDonald's, get something to eat on the way, go sit in the waiting room for almost an hour because he's always like that, really, really packed. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I'm done with the appointment, I'm in rush hour traffic. So it's a three and a half hour mess up for me. And yeah. I, I was able just to, to click online and 20 minutes later, we were done. That factor of the convenience is going to make what we're doing as a church very different and in terms of people's wants and desires what they're expecting from us is going to change because of what they experience online you know Ralph, i i agree with you and at the same time what i don't want to do is just like we can't water down the gospel jesus said you want to follow me eat my flesh and drink my blood and take up your cross and deny yourself i also don't want to reduce the church i i think it is inherently tactile and communal and personal so but what we are trying to figure out is, and by the way, I'm completely relieved from that um, sense that people would rather be online than in person overall, because our people after two weeks were like, can I please get back to somebody's house? Can I please be back in somebody's living room? I want to hug somebody, look in somebody's eyes in person. And so, but for the people who can't get there or who won't yet, and so whether it be in another city or, I mean, we have a lady who's a paraplegic in our church and she's telling us now, she's like, She's like, this is good for me. I I couldn't go to house church before, but now I can. And I think that's where we're going. I think we're gonna we're gonna go back to not in what we saw as normal. In some cases, in, in the church I'm in, they they've been doing Facebook Live forever, but they haven't. Well, forever. They're only a year and a half old, but they haven't done the online thing till now. And I think we'll we'll see a combination of some house churches that are online uh, yeah. with people that are only gonna be online. 
but it's going to be built around uh, still coming together on the weekend and being face to face with people. But then also that Facebook thing. One of my friends is planting digital churches that it, it's a kind of an odd thing because you could be in Nairobi and watching you on Sunday morning. It doesn't really make a difference where in the world you are. But if you announce that we're organizing something in Nairobi and you have somebody there that will be the leader of it, people yep. digitally will cluster around that announcement, around that person. And then you yep. have the opportunity for face-to-face -face meetings once this thing's over. And I think we're going to see some pretty exciting coming out of it. I like the word you use, cluster. And I think our idea is we're finding where people are listening to the teaching that we have, the simple biblical teaching, which is hard <laughs> Apparently, it's hard to find undiluted, not dressed up, simple teach scripture. It's hard to find. And so when people find it, they gather together. And wherever we find clusters, that's where we're now helping people start a house church. So our, our progress is we find people who are reaching out to us from other places. We help them start a house church that will replicate into a little house church movement in their city. And then we'll give them a centrality. We'll train up a lead pastor, if you will, a lead teacher, or they can just keep joining us like they are right now. But the key to me is the link between this is not only just good, solid teaching, good experience, but that there, there has to be leadership development. And that's where you talked about tomorrow, you're spending your day in leadership development, that, that it would be a real tragedy to see churches, the ones that are exploding with growth, explode with growth, and then not build the infrastructure of the elder body that's necessary to sustain that. It seemed like Paul, right? I mean, even if he, even if he was in town for a day, he would choose a couple of people to be leaders and trust them to the Holy Spirit. Although Paul entrusted the work to the Holy Spirit, he still chose leaders, even if they weren't fully prepared yet. He knew the, the Spirit would prepare them. And I think this, there is a centrality of leadership I see in Scripture. And so the difference for me, we have people come to our church often who were a part of a house church, that this was my house church for six years, but there was no connectivity to another house church. There was no centrality. And it's fragile because if something happens to that house church pastor, I asked the last person who came not too long ago, I said, how, how did you get to church project? Well, I was a part of a house church for years and it shut down. How did the house church shut down? We met in the restaurant of the, the pastor also owned a restaurant, but his wife got cancer and he had to stop leading it. So the whole thing fell down. And so he started asking some smart questions here. And he said, what if that happened here? And I said, well, we, we have a, a centrality of leadership that oversees all of our house churches. So when we do have a house church pastor that moves out of town for a job, you know, somewhere or something happens in their life or the out of, out of 10 years, we've had two house church pastors that we've had to remove because of moral failures, but that's at two out of 10 years isn't bad. Then we have another pastor step in and take their place. So the house church continues. And I think that's the beauty of having a centrality of oversight and leadership. And I think that's God's beautiful plan. That for me is the plurality of leadership that really protects the body. You know, a lot of the house church movement, I think, Ralph, has started out of rightful criticism of this one strong leader over a church and everything revolves around him. Well, I think the same is true with the house church. I don't think it's wrong to have a house church pastor, but if the house church would crumble when the house church pastor left, I don't think that's strong. So you know, somebody failed. Second um, Timothy 2, 2 comes in here. Paul says the things I taught you, you teach to others who can teach others also. Yeah. We were doing what I'm going to call micro church inside the church that I pastored in Honolulu. 
the only way we started new ones was to hive off and the leader to leave, the pastor to leave and go start a new group, which meant that you, if you were, if you're really functioning, you always had a couple of, of guys you're discipling to take your role. And yeah. so you could drop dead and the thing's going to go on. As a young kid, you know, I, I'm old. I grew up in the 1950s and 1956 was the peak year of Christianity in America. The more people going to church in 1956 huh. ever before until the Jesus movement hit in the late 60s, early 70s. So church from 1956 began to slow, slow decline. But what was happening was a, a lot of guys were dying and the older pastors were, oh. you know, they, they kind of hit their time. And I would hear people, I was a little boy, I was like, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old around then. And I'd hear people say, what a great man he was. No one could replace him. Yeah. They were praising the guy yeah. because some church of six or 700 people pretty much died, shrunk back to 50 people because mm. they lost their pastor. And this guy was such a great man. And as a little kid, I'm thinking, no, the guy was stupid. Something's yeah. wrong here. That's and, right. And we, you know, scripture is full of, Making disciples who make disciples. We go from there. Agree. Well, I just want to say thank you for taking time to be with us. I'd like you to just pop off a couple of websites again so people could make contact with you. And, you know, you, you may find your inbox pretty full in a week or two, but that'll be a good thing, I think. Well, I'd say what, I, there's nothing more I really love. I believe in the church. And I think if we, if we will restructure, realign the church back to some biblical principles, the church is going to be more powerful. I mean, we love the power of the early church, and it was really simple. And I think if we can deconstruct and decentralize and distribute leadership, the church will get back to what God wanted it to be. So I'll talk about this all day long because I love Jesus and I love his church. And by the way, I love being a pastor now more than ever. And I love seeing so many people be pastors themselves. Our Main website is churchproject.org. There you can also find the websites for church projects in many different places. You can also go to churchprojectnetwork.com. And that's the site we use to just get in contact with people who want to start house churches or a church project somewhere if they have a cluster of house churches so far. Thank you, Ralph. I'm so grateful for you. Thanks for leading. And please keep leading us. We need more clarity, not less. And we need more leadership. So a lot of us out here trust you and need you. Thanks for leading strong, and we're still following. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.